The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Hi, I'm Brad Bannon, the host of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm a national democratic strategist, a political analyst for a news radio station KNX in Los Angeles, and a columnist for The Hill in Washington DC. If you'd like to read my columns about the twists and turns in the midterm elections, you can read them at muckrack.com, M-U-C-K-R-A-C-K, muckrack.com, slash Brad Bannon, uh, front slash Brad Bannon, front slash articles. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. Mondays on Deadline DC, I talk to the the players and people behind the politics and policies that drive our great nation forward. Uh, There are only eight days until Election Day, and we have two guests to talk about elections today. In the first half hour, our guest is Marcia uh, Johnson uh, Blanco, uh, who is the co-executive director of the Lawyers Committee, uh, voting, the Lawyers Committee uh, Voting Rights uh, Project. Then in the second half hour, uh, our guest will be Dr. Robert Shapiro, the noted economist, uh, who joins us to talk about the impact of the economy on the midterm elections. But our first guest is uh, Marcia Johnson Blanco, co-director for the Lawyers Committee's Voting Rights Projects. She manages the the project's voter engagement programs at and the advocacy portfolios, which include the nation's largest nonpartisan voter uh, protection coalition, engagement in the Senate census, the redistricting process, researching the history of discrimination in voting, advocating for the restoration of full protections of Voting Rights Act, and promoting a national and state-based electoral form legislation that ensures access to the ballot. Uh, the, access, the website for the Lawyers Committee is lawyerscommittee.org, uh, and the Twitter handle is lawyerscommm. Marsh's handle is mfjblanco, B-L-A-N-C-O, all one word. Uh, Marcia, thanks for joining me on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing all right, getting ready for November 8th. Yeah, I imagine you're very busy now. Now, this is the way I look at it, Marcia, and I'd like to know what you think. The history of democracy in America has been the slow but steady expansion of voting rights. Uh, Back in the founding days of the Republic, the only people who could vote uh, were white men who owned a certain amount of property. Uh, We've moved uh, way beyond that now. But 
my concern is we may be moving backwards. Am I right to be concerned? You are right to be concerned, but I also think that um, what we've seen so far in this early voting cycle is that voters are energized. I think there's a difference between what our politicians are doing and what the voters are doing. We've seen in 2020, we had a historic turnout to the vote. And then we saw the backlash to that turnout. <laughs> we saw in states like Georgia and Texas, where they put constraints on those opportunities that voters used to achieve the, that historic turnout for partisan ends. But we see that voters are pushing back and hearing that, you know, there are already 20 million people who voted early means, you know, we're on track to have a really great um, turnout this cycle. But we really need to be vigilant and really hold those politicians to task who are trying to make it harder to vote. And that's the battle we have ahead of us. Okay. Could you talk about, uh, you raised the issue, could you talk about some of the obstacles that states, we, as you said, in record turnout in 2020, uh, which was great, uh, but since then many states have erected barriers to voting. Could you talk about some of the things that states did to limit voting? Yeah, so states that had um, a lot of use of absentee voting, in 2020 now make it harder to vote absentee either by shortening the deadlines to get the absentee ballot or as in the case in georgia requiring a photo id in order to be to vote absentee and particularly if you don't have a state driver's license or a state issued id having to make a photocopy of another id and submit it with your application and with and with your ballot um, criminalizing support at the polls. We have um, these states that had incredibly long lines where voters had to wait five hours up to nine hours to vote. And the community came out and offered water and food. And now they've criminalized that activity. You're no, no longer allowed to support voters who are waiting in line to vote, which is just incredible. And we've also. What's wrong with giving food and water to people who are voting? You, you think we would reward them for going to the time and trouble of voting? And what's the rationale for, you know, helping them? I can't imagine, you know, a reasonable rationale. And here's the thing the reason people are in these incredibly long lines is because there are not enough voting equipment at polling places. And so you don't make the opportunities available to the voter and that you punish the voter who wants to, who's going to stay in line despite that um, lack of um, opportunity to be able to go in and vote um, as quickly. And then you criminalize activity to support them. It's just outrageous, actually. Okay. Uh before now, uh, people have always, I voted already, and uh, millions of par millions of other Americans uh, have already voted or tried to vote. Uh, this is an opportunity, first of all, uh, for you to talk about if a voter is having trouble, um, how do they contact you to ask, or 
uh, ask for help. Right, so we have um, the Election Protection Coalition, which the Lawyers Committee convenes. We have a, to a suite of toll-free numbers to help voters. The 866-HOUR-VOTE is the number that's uh, administered by the Lawyers Committee. We have trained volunteers who answers call, answer calls live to answer any questions you may have. And it's really particularly important for voters um, if they have any question about voting, um, want to make sure that they're registered and still on the rolls in light of voting challenges, call the hotline. We can provide that information. If you have any problems, call the hotline because we work with election officials to, to fix those problems as well. Okay, now let me ask you this question. Have you had a lot, have many have a lot of people had troubles uh, voting early or is it been pretty smooth so far? Well, people have been calling um, with questions, uh, concerns about not having received their absentee ballot yet. And we've been following up and helping them with that. Um, as voters start with early voting, there's some voters who, are call, who call to express that they're a bit, um, they didn't find their polling place to be a friendly, um, environment because of poll watchers who are, you know, being um, not disruptive exactly, but just, you know, their presence there is um, not welcome, that they're looking over the shoulders of voters um, as they vote. But overall, I think, you know, voters are feeling very energized and determined to make their voices heard this, this cycle. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a short break now to uh, give our radio listeners a little rest and recreation, but uh, we are going to continue with the discussion uh, on Twitter and Facebook uh, with our guest in this half hour, uh, Marcia Johnson Blanco, who is the co-director of the Lawyers Committee's Voting Rights Project. We'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon right after this quick break for our radio listeners but everybody else keep going welcome back to headline dc with brad bannon our guest in this half hour is marcia johnson blanco who is the co uh, co-director of the lawyers committee vote lawyers committee's voting rights project we're talking about early voting uh access to voting uh, by the way, for our radio listeners, if you'd like to see us as well as listen to us, uh, you can watch us uh, on twitter.com front slash Brad Bannon or on facebook.com front slash deadline DC with Brad Bannon front slash videos. Uh, okay, uh, Marcia, uh, let's let me uh, ask this. Uh, do you expect you know, I've heard, read about all sorts of threats uh, on Election Day uh, trying to stop people from voting or God knows what else. Uh, do you expect any major, uh, major threats uh, and blockades to people voting on Election Day on November 8th? I don't expect it, but I'm prepared for it. I mean, there's a lot of reporting going on about people who are planning to you know monitor voting and as you know we talked about before with Arizona and 
people already showing up at ballot boxes. So it is likely that they'll come out there. You know, what I've seen in the past is that there's been a lot of um, narrative before election day or threats before election day about people who are going to um, threaten voters, but they don't show up. And I think the goal there is just to, for voters to feel uneasy and maybe not go to the polls. So I would say to voters, in spite of what you're hearing about folks who may show up at the polling place to question you or threaten you, you shouldn't let that deter you from going to vote because there are resources available to help you. We've been talking to election officials about having a plan to make sure that they um, are can protect these voters. The Department of Justice, please forgive my dog. Um, the Department of Justice is going to have monitors out at polling places. So voters should not feel deterred by these um, reports of folks being out there questioning their, their vote, because I think their plan is to make you feel unsafe about going and maybe not going to vote. And we want to you know, make sure that we um, don't um, fall into that trap as well. Okay, uh, let me ask you one last question about early voting uh, before we talk about election day. Uh, what kind? What kinds of people vote early? Are there any demographic patterns that we should be aware of? Yes, I mean we do see that people who um, have to work on election day. You know, we our election day is not a holiday, right? It's a working day. <laughs> so for people who have to work and don't have the flexibility to show up on election day they really enjoy the convenience of early voting or um, voting by mail because that way they can be sure that they can cast their ballot people who like to you know sit with the ballot and research and make sure that they're you know they know who the candidates are and um, can vote um, very knowledgeably um, like the convenience of um, voting earlier by absentee. And again, it comes down to having the opportunities available to you to vote in the way that works best for you. Okay, uh, let's try this. Uh, in uh, 2018 and in 2020, uh, I remember on election night seeing uh, news stories about uh, long, very long lines, people having to vote, uh, wait for hours before they could vote. Uh, and it seemed to me a lot of these, uh, if you looked at those long lines on the network uh, coverage of the election, a lot of the people in those lines were uh, people, uh, African-Americans uh, especially. Are we likely to see that again? Yeah, I mean, there's some, you know, people, particularly in the African-American community, who feel very strongly about voting in person, particularly because the right to vote has been such a hard-fought right, and being able to show up and vote in, in person is very important to them, and that sense of community that comes with that. But, you know, you mentioned the really long lines, and what that speaks to is that often in communities of color, there are not enough voting equipments available for people to be able to vote, um, to get in and out quickly, or the machines may have broken down, or there's something that is contributing to that really long line. And so 
we do see, you know, this tendency among African-American voters of wanting to vote in person, but then that's also confronted by not necessarily having sufficient resources, um, poll voting equipment, and that that's resulting in the long lines as well. Okay. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, besides helping, you know, during this, you know, election, you know, season, helping people make sure they get to vote, uh, you have uh, supported a, the Lawyers Committee has uh, supported a long list of reforms to make voting easier. Could you talk about uh, some of those uh, proposals and why they're so important? Right, so first and foremost, we need to restore the full protections of the Voting Rights Act. Uh, in 2013, the Supreme Court really uh, weakened the reach of the Voting Rights Act um, and regarding you know, jurisdictions with a history of discrimination that had to submit their voting changes for federal review. And since that decision, we've seen those jurisdictions, Georgia and, and uh, Texas, for example, that are making it harder for voters, uh, particularly voters of color, to cast a ballot. So we really need to get the Voting Rights Act strengthened. We really um, need to make it um, more convenient for voters, such as early voting and absentee voting um, standards across the country. And we also um, need to pass the Electoral Count Act to make sure that we don't have those who are trying to undermine the results of elections in 2020. And I, I hope you're successful because this is very important. Thanks very much for joining us, Marcia. Our guest in this half hour talking about voting rights was Marcia Johnson Blanco, co-director of the Lawyers Project, the Lawyers Project Voting Rights Project. Thank you very much, Marcia. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Welcome back to of Deadline with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. Uh, this half hour is brought to you by my political polling company, which uh, conducts surveys uh, for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. Our guest in this half hour is Dr. Robert Shapiro, who is chairman of Sonicon, an econo economic advisory firm He's also a senior fellow at the McDonough School of Business at Georgetown University. He is an internationally known economist who has advised several prominent national Democrats in economic policy. He was, during in the uh, Clinton administration, uh, the Undersecretary of uh, Commerce uh, for Economic Affairs. Uh, we have uh, Rob here today because he's the author on a new, uh, new essay on the democratic failure to capitalize on Joe Biden's economic uh, success uh, before the midterm election. Uh, if you want to read the essay, uh, you can uh, go to Dr. Shapiro's website, which is www.sonecon.com. His Twitter handle, Dr. Shapiro's Twitter handle, is Rob Shapiro. Dr. Shapiro, welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. It's a it's a pleasure to be be here again, Brad. Okay, let's. Uh, I, basically, I wanted you on to talk about uh, your essay. 
uh, which did this, you know, basically the uh, subject of the essay is that you think Democrats are making mistake, uh, not standing, uh, standing up for and shouting from the rooftops about Joe Biden's economic successes. Why don't you talk about your essay? Well, thank you. Thanks, Brad. The Republicans have have maintained a meme for the last month or so, which is that the economy is terrible and Americans are much worse off under under uh, President Biden and the Democrats. And the main response of the Democrats has been to kind of mumble an apology about inflation and inflation they didn't cause and then try to change the subject. Well, that never works. The economy is every national election is a platform to express people's either satisfaction or disappointment with the economy. Now, I well, at this point, I'll remind our viewers of James Carville, uh, famous axiom, it's the economy, stupid. Yes. <laughs> but the the remarkable thing here is that um, the Democrats have a very strong economic message. Uh, they just haven't been saying it. Uh, and, and I think we can distill it to three basic talking points. Uh, we start with jobs, which is an issue that somehow Republicans never mention. The word never comes across, no, they never across the lips of any, of any Republican candidate. So here's the talking point. Over the 21 months that Biden and Democrats have run Washington, the economy has created 10 million new jobs. 10 million. That's a monthly average of four, almost 480,000 jobs on average per month for 21 months. And if we compare it to the Trump record over the first 21 months of his term, it's about 300,000 jobs per month higher. So, so there is this really remarkable record on jobs. Um, the second talking point has to do with wealth. You know, the Federal Reserve measures the net assets of households uh, by income group. Uh, and the net assets are the value of your house, less your mortgage, your pension, any pension assets you have, any savings, any stocks and bonds, less other debts. And the what it shows is that in the first seven quarters of the Biden uh, administration, there have been not only have there been very large increases in net wealth, but the biggest percentage increases are happening at the bottom of the income ladder at the top. Um, now, and I, I analyzed the data and it showed that the bottom 20% of households, their wealth, their net assets had increased by almost $40,000 over a less than two years. And that's after inflation. Um, the next 40% of households uh, increased 
uh, an average of almost $36,000 per household. Um, again, after inflation. So how did it happen? <laughs> it's the paychecks from 10 million new jobs. It's the administration's pandemic relief, the checks that were sent out, um, and it's elevated saving rates. Now, richer Americans have done well too, uh, and their net assets went up a, in dollar terms more than lower income people. But really, for the first time in my memory, uh, and I'm pretty old, <laughs> the wealth of households, <laughs> the wealth of households with relatively less income grew much faster than the wealth of higher income counterparts. In the bottom 20%, net wealth jumped 36%. The next 20%, it jumped 17%. The middle 20%, it jumped 12%. And at the top, uh, it jumped by about 5%, um, except for the top 1%, their wealth went up 2%. So we have a economy that has generated not only jobs, but wealth, and wealth which is favoring, for the first time, in living memory, um, people with less income. Um, now, so that's that's the second talking point. Everybody, okay. everybody got richer. Um, and then we've got that's a good talking point. It is a good talking point. And yet I never hear Democratic candidates saying it. I don't hear the White House saying it. OK, um, what's the third? What's the third talking point? Well, the third talking point, we have to address the vulnerability of Democrats, and that's inflation. Um, and so what I did was I looked at all wage and salary income and divided it by the number of people earning wages and salaries at the beginning of the administration and 21 months in. And before inflation, um, uh, the total, all wages and salaries, the total went up 14, over 14%. Part of that is the additional people working. So we take account of rising employment and average wage and salary income rose about $5,000 uh, per working person, about 7.3%. Well, the GDP deflator, which is the best measure we have of inflation, that went up 8.3%. Um, so there is a loss. Um, most of that inflation came unexpectedly from OPEC and the supply chain shortages and other snarls left over from the pandemic. But as an economist, um, dealing with all of these shocks to the economy and still having wages and salaries nearly keep up with this unexpected inflation um, is a big deal. Um, now, the difference between what the average person's wages and salaries um, would be have to be in order to exactly keep pace with inflation and what we actually got is a little under $700. 
Um, that's less than 1%. Um, and <laughs> it's offset by these very large increases in wealth. Um, and so this is a this is a perfectly respectable record. Um, okay, I'm going to have to uh, stop you there, Dr. Shapiro, because we have to go to take a short break for our radio listeners. But we will continue with our live stream listeners on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, our guest is Dr. Robert Shapiro, chairman of Sonicon uh, and an internationally noted economist. Welcome back to our radio listeners. This is Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. By the way, again, to our radio listeners, if you'd like to watch us as well as listen to us, you can see us on twitter.com front slash Brad Bannon. You can also view the show on facebook.com front slash Deadline DC with Brad Bannon front slash videos and also on YouTube. So there's no excuse for watching us as well as listening to us. Our guest in this half hour is Dr. Robert Shapiro, uh, chairman of Sonicom, which is an international economic advisory firm. Uh, Dr. Shapiro was the Undersecretary of Commerce for Economic Affairs during the Clinton administration, and we're welcoming him here to uh, Deadline DC today to talk about the impact of the economy on the midterm elections, which occur in only eight days. Dr. Shapiro, let me ask you this question. Uh, you've made a pretty good case that the economy has made all sorts of improvement under the Biden administration. Uh, my question is, why have Democrats and the Biden administration been so reluctant to talk about it? Well, um, I honestly think it's a, uh, they've been intimidated by the Republican attacks on inflation. Uh, and they didn't respond and say, look, this is an inflation. President started to do this and then stopped. Uh, this is an inflation being driven by Saudi Arabia and Russia. Uh, and, um, uh, and I think that they just haven't gotten their act together to figure out that even if they don't take on inflation, which I think they could take on, um, they could still talk about 10 million new jobs. They could still talk about rising wealth uh, across the income, uh, across incomes. You know, we also, last week, we got GDP for the third quarter. 2% um, plus increase, right? 2.6% increase. The Republicans were saying we were in a recession. Well, well, most voters think that we are, so... Well, the, the data say no, but, but here's another talking point. You know, in the first seven quarters of the Biden administration, um, economic growth has averaged 3.3%. 3.3%, that's a very good number. Um, compare that to the first 21 months of... Uh, the Trump administration, when 
um, it averaged, I think, 2.3%. Um, and, or let me just check it, uh, it averaged 2.8%. So the fact is that for the first um, seven quarters of the Biden administration, economic growth has been much stronger on average than it was in the first seven quarters of the Trump administration. Uh, now, why we don't, why Democrats don't put Republicans on the defensive on this? Why, why they don't attack and say, look, we have a stronger growing economy than Trump produced before the, the pandemic. Uh, we have much stronger gains in wealth across the board than Republicans produced when they ran all of Washington um, in 2017 and 2018. Um, we're, we're creating 300, an average of 300,000 more jobs per month for 21 months than Trump could create. Now, why they don't attack the Republican record and say, look, our record is better. And by, by, ev by every objective measure, it is, with the exception of inflation, but an inflation that came from Saudi Arabia and Russia, not from the policies of this administration. So um, I, uh, look, I'm, I'm an economist. And not a not a political message guy uh, is all I can do is give the message people the data and say here's what you can say and and it will be true it's what the Bureau of Economic Analysis reports what the Bureau of Labor Statistics reports what the Federal Reserve reports. This isn't my view of the data. This is, this, uh, this simply is the data. This is what's happened in the economy. Um, they should have been on the attack uh, for the last six months on the economy. Um, and um, I honestly, uh, you know, as I say, I'm an economist and it's sometimes hard for me to understand what, politicians are thinking. You would have a much better idea of that than I would, Brad, because you deal with them all the time. You're giving them polls, uh, surveys. Um, but um, this is, you know, Lenin used to say, once said that the power is lying in the streets. You just have to pick it up. Famous phrase from Lenin. Well, the case was just lying in the street. All you had to do was pick it up. Okay. Well, let me ask you this question. What do you see happening in the economy next year? Uh, at least what I read, uh, you know, all sorts of, you know, quest, you know, concerns about uh, a, a real recession as opposed to the recession that the voters feel is already going on. Uh, what's your prognosis for the economy in the next year? Um, I think it we're going to see much slower growth next year. And this is a direct result of the interest rate policies of the Fed. 
Um, it's, it is the main tool we have to try to bring down inflation. Uh, you bring down inflation in this respect by making it harder for people to spend large amounts of money. So things you have to borrow money for. Interest rates are higher. Fewer people are buying houses. Fewer people will buy cars. Fewer people will uh, take out more credit card debt. Uh, that slows the economy. Demand, as demand falls, um, it comes more in line with supply and no longer puts pressure on prices. So I think next year what we're going to see is inflation easing to about four to four and a half percent. Um, and uh, we're going to see the economy either growing maybe one to one and a half percent, um, or if the Fed overcompensates and raises rates too much too quickly, we could see a short recession. Uh, it will break the inflation. And uh, frankly, I think 2024 will be a good year uh, for the economy. Uh, which is good for President Biden because he has to run for re-election in right. 2024. Right. Uh, so what can the administration do if the economy is going to growth is going to slow, people are going to get more frustrated uh, and angry. Uh, what can the Biden administration do to soften this situation next year? Well, um, you know, we can, uh, you know, if unemployment begins to rise, uh, we can have generous unemployment benefits um, that will ease some of this. Um, we're easing the debt burdens of young people through uh, the student loan forgiveness program. Um, and, you know, I think the, um, uh, look, the administration, if Republicans take control of the House. Okay, Dr. Shapiro, unfortunately, I have to cut you off there because we are out of time. Uh, I want to thank uh, Dr. Shapiro, chairman of Sonicom, uh, an economic advisory firm, and our guest in the first segment, Marcia Johnson, uh, Marcia Johnson uh, Blanco, who discussed voting rights. Uh, we'll be back with more of Deadline DC next Monday at 3 p.m. live.